So last week, we talked about the fact that it was um, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we invited some guest speakers, we in, and uh, Ginny Rogers, the executive director of LAPS, was here and was able to share. But we were supposed to have two other people speak. Uh, Lisa Boy from the Staples LAPS was supposed to share. In fact, she was supposed to be our primary presenter. And then Joanne Gamerick was going to give a, a short testimony of what it's like to volunteer at LAPS. Uh, both Lisa and Joanne were not here because of COVID isolation and all of that stuff. Well, Joanne's here, and she texted me and said, hey, could I say what I was going to say last week? And I said, yeah. So, Joanne, come up and share with us. Mike, do you have a microphone you could run up this way? Oh, you got one. All right. So, Joanne, you've been volunteering with LAPS for quite a bit, quite a while now. Is this thing working? Hello, testing, testing. All right. Okay, Joanne? About a year. Um, I started training. Well, okay, you're going to get me off. I got to stick to my paper. (laughs) So um, I have had the privilege, actually, to work with Ginny and Lisa and PJ and Katie um, through laps out of Brainerd and Staples. And they are just wonderful ladies who are living out the purpose that God has bestowed on them. And they're convicted and called to it. And um, I've just learned a lot from them. But there's something that one needs to understand about ministry. We don't come to it on our own. We're called to it. Um, God calls us. He prepares us. And it's for his good purpose. So we feel inadequate. And I, I especially feel inadequate. But um, I think that's normal. And I think it's good to feel inadequate because then we know it's not of us, it's of God. But I just wanted to read a meditation that was shared with us as part of our training. Um, we took extensive training. My husband kept saying, how much is there to learn? But there is so much to learn. Um, we're called or we received this uh, training online and in person. And part of it, there was this meditation that was shared, and I'm going to read it because it's really powerful. It starts out quoting uh, out of Jude 1, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Ministry. An 83-year-old missionary took me aside once and gave me some advice I'll never forget. Gary, this was written by Gary Thomas, sorry. Gary, he said, there is something in scripture I want to show you. He then proceeded to flip through his well-worn Bible. His hands were shaking slightly, his eyes straining through the glasses to find their bearing. On the outside, he appeared to be frailty personified. His mind was fully alert and sharp, but his body knew its age. I knew his work. I was familiar with the young college students he had inspired to go to the mission field. I had heard him pray. I knew that if I were Satan, he'd be one of the people I would hate and fear the most. The missionary's hands finally stopped flipping through the pages near the end of the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 19. The apostle Paul is speaking, he told me, likely near the end of his life. 
The missionary then read to me one of the most simple yet profoundly moving statements in all of Scripture, Acts 26, 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Well, of course, this is Paul speaking to King Agrippa. He looked at me, will you be able to say that? Will you remain obedient to the vision God has given you? He goes on to say, over the years, I have met many pro-life workers who have made incredible sacrifices to be faithful to the vision God has given them. They make great sacrifices only to have others question their motives. They serve with the best intentions, yet are vilified on false charges. And daily they face the spiritual pressure of ministering on the front lines. Why? Why do these people give so freely? It's a fair question. And with a few exceptions, the answer is the same. Because they believe they have been called. Called. What does that mean being called? For me, what that meant was... a. Always, I've had a desire to protect children, the innocent, the most vulnerable. I've always had the character to be helpful and to provide hope, encouragement, to share how Jesus' love, compassion, and forgiveness has shaped and changed my life. It's a way to give of myself physically and spiritually instead of just financially, which is important too. And I, it helps me to know that God has equipped me. For me, even to stand up here and share this with you is of God. It's not of me. For those reasons, and everybody has their own story and their own reasons, but that's how I came to lapse. What better way to be called? What a better ministry to be called to here are some ways that you can all minister and be called to protect life volunteer i volunteer as a client advocate so i actually meet with clients who come in in a crisis pregnancy situation um but there's other things you can teach classes you can help we take in donations of clothing for women and for children you can help with laundering that i mean it seems small but it's needed um, teaching uh, young women or young men how to take care of a child. Some don't know. They don't have that experience. Uh, repairs on the, on the building or maintenance, cleaning the building. We have a baby bottle campaign that Barbara has always handled, and I'm hoping to help with that. This year it runs Mother's Day through Father's Day. So offering to help with that or, or a table host for a banquet, which Barbara has also done that for many years. These are all ways to help with laps. Give financially, obviously. Uh, everything needs money to run financial support. Vote for life and let your representatives know how you feel. Right now, especially in the Supreme Court, the Roe versus Wade um, is possibility to be overturned. Pray, pray, Vo- uh, let your representatives know how you feel. And you know you know God's word. What does God's word say about human life? We need to know so the decisions we make are based on scripture and not on culture. 
so many times people don't know. I have five references that I just found fairly quickly. Genesis 25, 23, Rebecca, two nations of Israel in her womb. There were the two peoples, two nations came from Jacob and Esau, the twins in her womb. That was known before she even had her babies. Uh, Job 10, 8 through 12, Job speaks about how God created, shaped, molded him together with bones and sinews and clothed him with skin and flesh. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, David acknowledges that God fearfully and wonderfully made him in the womb and saw his unformed body when it was being woven together. There's no question. That's not a glob of tissue. That's a, that's a baby. That's a human life. Isaiah 49, 1, Isaiah talks about being called by the Lord before he was even born. And then Jeremiah 1, God speaks to Jeremiah Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So it's important to know the why we believe what we believe. Um, I want to thank Pastor Jason. It was kind of short notice, and I hadn't planned to do this, but I woke up with it just heavy on my heart this morning that I needed to say my why, because I think a lot of times we feel called, but we don't act on it because we don't feel adequate. You're not adequate. I'm not adequate, but God provides. He has your purpose. He provides the way. Um, also, uh, please pray for and support ministries that protect all human life. LAPS, obviously, in our areas is huge. There's other uh, support centers, pregnancy centers in the area, and other organizations that affirm life. Minnesota Citizens, Concern for Life, uh, Human Life Alliance, those are some that we personally uh, contribute to. CareNet. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you can think of others. But anyway, thank you, Pastor Jason. That'd be fine. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. And thank you for your willingness to serve and help it lapse. Um, <clears throat> if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that... Um, My sermon today is supposed to be Luke 13, 18 through 35, and uh, I wasn't quite sure why the Lord uh, cut that way down, but now I know. Uh, Joanne was supposed to speak, and so I'm only going to preach on three of those verses today, and you're all going to be happy, right? Everybody's happy. I will say something just very briefly. I don't want to get into it a lot, but if you're not totally familiar with what's going on at the national level with the Supreme Court... And with Roe versus Wade, uh, we've been fighting for, what, 50 years against this, this legislation. And it's not even, that's not even right. It's not even legislation. Against this Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade, that's what this is. We've been fighting as a people for over 50 years. I think at 49 years, something like that. But I want you to know something. If or when, and I am very hopeful that this summer the Supreme Court will come up and in some way change or maybe even completely overturn the Roe versus Wade decision. When that happens, if it happens, we're praying that it will. But I need you to know, that's not the end of the fight, that's the start of the fight. Because if Roe versus Wade is overturned or shrunk considerably, it will all go back to the states. 
And each individual state will now determine what, the, uh, what abortion will be in their state. Our state is a state that has, unfortunately, strongly been pro-abortion for quite a while. In fact, our Minnesota tax dollars, about a million dollars a year, from your Minnesota tax dollars you pay, funds abortion in Minnesota. So, that's frustrating to me. I do not like that any of my tax money goes to that. That's where we live. So when Roe versus Wade, if it is overturned, it's the beginning of the job that we have to do in Minnesota. So be prepared for that. Be praying for that. I am thankful that we're even having this conversation in this way, right? But we've got a lot of work to do. It's not the end. It's the beginning. All right. Before I begin to uh, open up God's Word, um, as an introduction today, I want you to do something. I've asked you to do this from time to time. I, I call it a pair share. It's when I just ask you a question, I want you to talk about it with the person next to you. So that's how I want to introduce the sermon today, with a pair share. I want you to just talk together, answering what seems like maybe a super simple question. I want you to imagine that the person next to you is a sixth grader, Okay, And I want you to answer this question with the person next to you. If a sixth grader came up to you and asked you this question, what would you say? What is the kingdom of God? Go. Live streamers, you don't get to skip this. You've got to do this at home. All right. You know, when you first think about it, you think, well, that'll be easy to answer. And then you start talking, and you're like, that's not quite as easy as I thought it was going to be. Okay, so if, if that's where you're at, that's okay. But by the end of the, the, the message today, I hope that that will be easier to answer. Now, this is a very important question, the kingdom of God. Um, one of the things that I was surprised about when I went to seminary and I took a New Testament class, one of the, one of the things that my New Testament professor said to me, and by the way, I think it's possible he's going to be our speaker at Family Camp, which I'm super excited about, but that's something else. So uh, he asked a very simple question. What, was, what did Jesus talk about more than anything else? And of course, everybody's like, love, right? Jesus talked about love, right? Or or maybe salvation, or maybe the cross, right? Or maybe even holiness. Jesus talked way more about the kingdom of God than anything else. 
And yet the kingdom of God is one of those terms that we don't quite know how to give it a definition as Christians. I think that's crazy. So let me, okay, we are Christians. So Jesus Christ is whom we serve, right? The biggest thing Jesus talked about, the kingdom of God, we have trouble defining. Anybody see a problem with that? Right? That's what I would like to talk about today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, it is with expectation because we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We need your word to shape how we live our life. God, we need this word of hope. We need this word of good news. And we know we can only get it from you. Speak to us now as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As I begin this message today, I'm reminded of what I've got written on my pulpit. If you've never come up here before, like Bill was just up here. So Bill was just up here and he was singing from here. Did you know, did you see what's written right here, Bill? Do you remember? Bill. Too busy, too busy looking at the words of the song. Fair enough. Right here, staring me in the face, right here, every single time I get up in front of you, is this sticker. It says, 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Right there. And every time I say to you, and the, go- the word gospel means, I'm looking right at that sticker. So come on up here sometime and look at that sticker. My job is to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. Every time I do a funeral, that sticker's sitting right there. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. I want to talk to you about the gospel today, and it's my hope that by the end of this message today, you will be encouraged. We could all use some encouragement right now, couldn't we? So, I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 13. It's been a couple weeks since I was able to be up here and preach in front of you. Two weeks ago, I was COVID isolated. And last week, the LAPS um, speaker, Ginny, was here. And now, we're back to Luke. So we're back to the Luke sermon series, Luke chapter 13. So take a look at Luke 13, and I'm going to reread what the, the passage of Scripture that I did three weeks ago. Because you probably don't remember. Does anybody even remember three weeks ago? I Don't answer that. You'll make me feel bad. Okay, so I'm going to reread the section of Scripture that we studied in depth three weeks ago. It's important that I do this because what I'm going to tell you about today connects directly in. So here we go. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Here we go. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? 
Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. All right, a powerful story. Now, if you want an explanation of that story because you weren't here three weeks ago, go to our YouTube and watch it, okay? It's, it, it's really amazing when you dig into that story. But there's more to that story than I could get to three weeks ago. Look at what happens next. So here's starting in verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Some of you in this room have been followers of Jesus for a long time. Some of you have heard many sermons, and you've been reading Scripture for 50 or 60 or 70 years. You have to be careful that you don't jump ahead when you've got so much Scripture in your brain you got to be careful you don't jump ahead because when I say the word mustard seed, what pops into your mind? Anybody? Faith, right? If you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to stand up and jump in the sea, right? So that jumps in your brain. If you've been a Christian for a while, that, when I say mustard seed, you say, if I just had faith of a mustard seed, I could call that mountain to move. Well... That's good. I mean, Matthew 17, 20 is where you're getting that from. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's a great verse of scripture. And my, my guess is that if I say mustard seed, you think of that verse. But that's not what the passage in Luke is about. So I, I'm, I'm making sure that you are engaged in what's happening here because your brain probably jumped right to faith when I talked about a mustard seed. But look again. <clears throat> Back to Luke. Back to Luke 13, 18 and 19. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. <clears throat> Notice, what is Jesus comparing when he's talking about the mustard seed in this passage in Luke? Anybody? What is the mustard seed a comparison to? The kingdom of God. This isn't about faith, okay? This is about the kingdom of God. So I, I, you need to get in your brain right away when we look at this passage in Luke. Jesus is not comparing a mustard seed to faith. He's comparing a mustard seed to the kingdom of God. Now, it's not wrong, obviously, to compare the mustard seed to faith. In Matthew, that's what he does. I think Jesus... It, 
he was teaching for three years, he used the idea of a mustard seed in more than one way. That's what I'm getting at, okay? But don't confuse them because you'll miss the point of this passage. All right, so this is where we have to read God's word carefully, making sure that we don't overlook what is actually there because we've become so accustomed to what we expect to be there, okay? That's the point. That's why I'm making such a big deal about this. I need you to actually read the word and not just assume you know what's coming. I need you to actually look at this and dig into it. All right, so here we go. Are you ready? Did, did, I make, did I break that connection in your brain so you can actually see this? That's what I'm trying to do. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed is the, almost the, maybe the smallest almost of any seed that you would plant in your garden. It's super tiny, like, like you, you can barely see it in your hand. I mean, it's super tiny, okay? So um, let's talk about what Jesus is doing here. It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. In his garden. The term garden, what does that, what does that bring to mind biblically? The garden of Eden. Think about it. You think, I mean, Jesus does this stuff on purpose, right? So, it is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. The garden. Are you, are you getting there's an analogy going on here? This is a parable, right? And the mustard seed, what happened to the mustard seed? It grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? This is a parable, right? The mustard seed, let's just boil it down. This is not meant to be confusing. It's meant to be straightforward. The mustard seed started small, really small, tiny, right? And then it grew. It got big. It got really big. So it started tiny, and it grew and got huge. What is the kingdom of God? Now, when you were talking like to the sixth grader next to you, right? What did you say? Bring to mind what you said the kingdom of God was. And now look at what Jesus said it's like. The kingdom of God is like something that starts super tiny and gets huge. I'm guessing that even though you've seen this before, you haven't quite thought about the kingdom of God like this. The kingdom of God is what? Well, let's, let's try to put a definition to it now. And you, you might have gotten part of this as you talk to each other. But let's try it like this. The kingdom of God. Now, let's, let's keep this simple. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God is king. Right? I mean... Let's not get, this gets really confusing and complex when it doesn't need to, okay? So, it, it's, it's anywhere where there's a recognition that God, now if I was talking to a sixth grader, this is what I would say. The kingdom of God is anywhere where it's recognized that God is large and in charge, right? The kingdom of God is anywhere where it's recognized that God is large and in charge. Okay, so... At the level of just one single person, what does that mean? It means that 
You're living your life as if God is your king. That's the kingdom of God in in an individual person's life. You're living your life as if God is the king. As if God is your master, your ruler, your your father. You're, You're living life with God as the most important person in your life. That's what the kingdom of God is if I'm talking about an individual person. Wherever God is king, the kingdom of God is present. Now, look at the second part of this parable, verses 20 and 21. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Okay, Jesus is saying the same thing, but from a different angle here. Instead of a mustard seed, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to yeast. Look, again, it's the kingdom of God. This is, this is an analogy, a parable, right? So yeast is small. And when he says a large amount of flour, like there's actually a number in the Greek. It's, it's like 50 pounds of flour, okay? So Jesus is talking about if you've got a 50-pound sack of flour, how much yeast do you need? Like just a, a sprinkle, almost invisible, Right? And when you work the dough, the yeast works through the dough, and it changes the dough. Like it changes everything. That that tiny speck of yeast will work through the entire dough. Again, get what Jesus is saying here. This is not meant to be complex. The kingdom of God is something that starts almost infinitesimal, tiny. But it changes everything. And it grows and becomes huge. And if you're talking about a garden, I mean, it takes over the garden. If you're talking about a a, a giant bag of flour, it, it changes the whole bag of flour. Like it goes throughout the whole thing. That is what Jesus says is the kingdom of God. Now, this is important. And this is the thing where I'm excited. Connect what Jesus just said with the story of the woman that was healed. Now, this is where it's easy to miss if you, if you look at Scripture in little chunks instead of the whole thing. This is what I love about exegetical preaching. It connects us together. So, look again at Luke chapter 13, verse 10, okay? Luke chapter 13, verses 10 and 11 says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Okay, so, on a Sabbath... Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Everybody got that? Right? But now look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Then Jesus asked. Now here's my point. Here's my point. So in your mind, go back to this story. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. Right? He sees this woman that's bent over. Right? He says, Woman, do you want to be freed from your infirmity? The woman says, Yes. And so Jesus puts his hands on the woman and she is healed right in front of everybody, right? Then the ruler of the synagogue is like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, you're a hypocrite, right? And then, go back to that slide, Mike. And then right after that, right, like, you're still, imagine if you're there. You're sitting there watching this happening, okay? You've just watched this woman be healed. You've just watched Jesus put the synagogue ruler in his place, right? You've just seen that happen, and then Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? 
This is exciting. I almost can't wait to tell you the next part of this. You saw the woman healed. You saw Jesus set the synagogue leader straight. And then Jesus says, now let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Because he just showed them the kingdom of God. And now he's going to say what it's like. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed and yeast is the response that he gives the people in the synagogue who just saw the woman be healed. Like, so, like, you saw the miracle, and now Jesus says, and now the teaching. The teaching is the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. Why would Jesus connect these two things together? Why would Jesus say, because like in our brain, like, when you just look at these stories, like, it doesn't match. Like, what does the healing of the woman have to do with the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed? It's got everything, and it's exciting. You see, to understand this, I need to ask you a question. Ready for this? What is the opposite of the kingdom of God? Talk to the person next to you as if they're a sixth grader and answer that question. What is the opposite of the kingdom of God? All right, that was much shorter and less talking. Sometimes in order to define something, one of the best ways to define it is to define the opposite of it, right? Did you find it difficult to define the opposite of the kingdom of God? I don't think it's as difficult as you might imagine. And the reason I'm asking you to share with the person next to you is to try to get your brain working, right? You know what I'm saying? To get your brain engaged. This is not meant to be tricky. You ready? The opposite of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of man or the kingdom of Satan. Anywhere, and, and think about it. Listen to this, this description now. I'm going to use the same description I used before, but I'm going, to, I'm going to say the opposite. So the kingdom of God, okay, is anywhere where God is recognized as king, right? So what's the opposite of that? The kingdom of man or the kingdom of Satan is anywhere God is not recognized as king. It's not tricky, is it? A failure to recognize that God is large and in charge is a place where it's the opposite of the kingdom of God. Everybody got that? So the opposite of the kingdom of God is a failure to recognize that God is king. At the level of a single person, let's go back to the level of a single person. It means living your life with something other than God as your king. Right? So God is, is not your king, your master, your ruler, your father. Living life with God not as the most important person in your life is living your life in the kingdom of man or of Satan. Like, this isn't tricky, but there's, this is profound. Because whenever God is not recognized as king, the kingdom of man or the kingdom of Satan is present. Now, 
back to the crippled woman whom Jesus healed. What was Jesus actually doing when he healed her? Look again at Luke 13, verses 10 and 11. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. What was the source of this woman's infirmity? A spirit. And if, if that's too vague, hop down to verse 16. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, Jesus explicitly says, this woman's infirmity explicitly is from Satan himself through the work of a spirit of Satan. Yes? The woman's infirmity is a visual sign of the kingdom of Satan. And what did Jesus do? He displayed the kingdom of God. Let me show you what the kingdom of God is. Woman, be healed. And what's the kingdom of God like? A mustard seed. Why? What does the healing of one poor, frail old woman 2,000 years ago have? What does that even mean to the big picture of things? It's just one woman. It's just just one little healing. What, What does that even matter? Can I remind you? According to Jesus himself, Who had kept this woman bound for 18 years? Satan. Who did Jesus defeat when he healed her? Satan. Now put yourself in the audience of that synagogue. Imagine being there. Imagine you just saw that woman healed by Jesus in front of your eyes. Let it sink in. Imagine you were sitting there, right? When Satan was king, the woman was bound. Jesus freed her from that bondage. And in that moment, the kingdom of Satan decreased just a little bit. And the kingdom of God increased just a little bit. Just one teensy-weensy tiny bit. Just one little woman. One little woman that nobody knew anything about, just one woman's life changed. And the kingdom of Satan went down just a smidge, and the kingdom of God went up just a smidge. Oh, man, this is the moment I'm hoping the light bulb, like, this is it. This is the light bulb moment I'm hoping for in in the middle of this message, right? As I've studied this passage, a light bulb has gone off with me. You ready for this? Our job as followers of Jesus is to make the kingdom of God increase just a little bit in this dark world. A kind word, a statement of encouragement, being present when someone is hurting, praying with them and for them, bringing a meal when someone is ill, holding a hand, When someone's in the nursing home, showing up at a funeral, 
cutting ham early on a cold morning so that the meal is ready. And the kingdom of God goes up just a little bit. And the kingdom of Satan goes down just a little bit. You ready? Those little things you do matter. When we do those little things that seem insignificant, when we do those little things that don't seem like it's making a hill of beans a difference, it changes the entire cosmic structure of reality as the kingdom of God goes up and the kingdom of Satan goes down. Just that little bit. It is so easy for us as Christians to get discouraged, isn't it? Because it feels like the things we're doing aren't making a difference. It feels like it doesn't matter sometimes to to just be consistent in the way we interact with people when we're at work. To just, when you just want to, inside your brain, you're, you just, you're, you're crying out because you're so tired. And yet, just one more time, you reach out to those people that, that are off the wall in the emergency room, Kim. Just one more time. Just one more time. Just one more time, you come to release time and you deal with those third grade boys that are driving you crazy. Just one more time. Just one more time. It matters. What you're doing matters. It's changing the cosmic reality. When you live your life with the remembrance that God is your king, and every action, every little thing, every little word you say, that little thing that you didn't think mattered, that you're so discouraged because it doesn't seem like there's anything that it's doing. When, when you respond just in that one kind way to that person who's trying to pick a fight with you about COVID. <laughs> that one thing is like a mustard seed. And it grows. And it grows. And it works its way all the way through the whole garden. The whole loaf of dough. It matters. As we live with God as our king, do you understand we are pushing back the kingdom of man and the kingdom of Satan? The kingdom of man and Satan says that we ought to look out only for ourselves. The kingdom of God says that we ought to put others above ourselves. When we live our lives with a constant recognition that God is our king, everything is different. Every action we take, every word we speak, every decision we make is different when you recognize God is your king and you are accountable to him. Everything is different. And every time you live in that way, every little time, it pushes the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of man down and makes the kingdom of God rise, rise, rise. The answer to what ails our country is not politics. It's a mustard seed. 
It's, a, it's yeast in the dough. We are the answer. If we will simply live life with God as our king. Every little decision, every word, every moment, that is the answer. A million, billion, little, tiny actions and words are going to change the whole world. Jesus said, Luke 13, 18 through 21, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Jesus had changed that woman's life because he liberated her from the power of Satan. And then said, that one little thing times all of us, those one little things, are going to change the whole world. It's going to change the whole world. That's our hope. And I I think that the Apostle Paul understood Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God as he wrote his letters to the churches. And so I leave you with one final passage of Scripture that just, it makes sense as you understand the kingdom of God in this way, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our weapons, church of God, are not man-made weapons. Our battle is spiritual, and we win that battle by one teensy-weensy decision and word a time. In every way that we move, Every way that we live, remembering that God is king and that your actions will reflect the fact that God is king, that wins the day. How do you do that? Well, you take captive to every every thought. Every thought that you let in your brain. God's my king. How do I interpret that thought? God's my king. What do I need to say in response to this person that just irritated me? God's my king, right? God's my king. What do I need to say to to this person right now? God's my king. God's my king. Every single thought. Victory is within our reach. Because the kingdom of God just keeps growing. Every little thing. My challenge to you today, as we end our time together, Starts with encouragement. This matters. Those little things matter. And my encouragement goes into challenge. Do you need to find ways to keep God as your king all the time? What do you need to do to take every thought captive to Christ? How are you going to do that? Well, it's again, it's not complex. You, you, you just got to do it. You, you got to remember, God's my king. I, what ails this country cannot stand against a church that has made that decision. Do you understand? That, that nothing can stand against that. We just have to make a decision. The kingdom of God is more important than the kingdom of man. You going to make that decision or not? 
That's it. That's it. Which is more important to you, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man? I mean, that's, Jesus came. Like, that's what he talked about. Make your choice. Which is more important? I hope you are encouraged today to just do one more little thing. <laughs> just do one more thing that shows that God is your king. And the kingdom of God will grow. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had today. Thank you for the encouragement that comes from your word. As we, as we stop long enough to just really recognize what's going on in your word, as we stop long enough to invite you in to speak to us as we read your word, as we recognize the bigger picture that's going on around us and how we can change things simply by living as citizens of the kingdom of God. May that be the case for this group of believers in this place. In Jesus' name.